the the quest banquet went really well last night and um you know i'm i'm reading a book right now on evangelism it's called uh it's called irresistible evangelism and one of the points that the guy makes in that book is that you know sometimes as christians we kind of think that we've got to close the deal in terms of leading people to christ like if if we don't share the gospel with them and pray with them to receive Christ, then it was a failure. You know, we didn't really do what we were supposed to do. And that's just really not the case because most people in in terms of spiritual things, um, you know, are very guarded and are very cautious. And it's it's very something they don't they don't just, you know, um, turn over everything they've ever thought. Uh, and change their mind about everything they ever believed, you know, because they met one person. It, it takes a lot of time, and it takes a lot of encounters with people. This guy calls it touches of Christ, and he has a lot of neat ideas, maybe similar to like what we did with leaf raking, and and going out and you know just tangibly, practically showing people the love of Christ. He's got some really good ideas of of how to do that, you know, um, giving out bottled water at a you know, sporting event or, you know, going in, in downtown to businesses and cleaning their windows and for free, you know, that kind of thing. And just saying, hey, we're just doing this to share the love of Christ. And he tells the story about this one pastor who was at a sporting event and, um, you know, the, he was standing in line to get a soda at the concession stand and he felt like the Lord was just showing him that he was supposed to buy a beer for the next 10 people in line. And, and, the, and the pastor's like, Lord, that, that's crazy. I, I don't buy people beer. And, and he just felt like, you know what, that's what I'm supposed to do. They're going to buy it anyway. So the next ten people in line, because everybody's buying beer except him, the next ten people in line, he bought them a beer. And they were like bikers and, you know, different just sort of um, wild and crazy people. And, and, um, and then as he bought them a beer, he handed them a business card. And he said, I want to show you the love of Christ. And he's the next day, like all those people showed up at his church, and they said, "Any pastor that'll buy me a beer, I got to listen to what he has to say." You know, <laughs> and so that. And he said, you know, in the book, he was like, "I don't recommend that." You know, I'm not saying that's like your next outreach, but it it was it worked at that time, and so it's really kind of a cool thing, um, just sharing with people the love of Christ. In, in very practical ways, and and that's sort of how I view Quest because I think sometimes we look at it and we think, you know, man, how do we know if people got saved or how do we know uh, the the fruit of it, the results of it, and we we may never know. And the thing is, is that that might have been the first time somebody heard the gospel. It might be the tenth. It might have been the twentieth. We don't know where on the scale those people are at. Uh, but they definitely heard the gospel. And, you know, um, here we have this event where it's pretty uh, secular in nature. Uh, I mean, you know, even uh, the music we were playing last night, some of it was Christian, a lot of it wasn't. Um, you know, we have raffles and all these things that, that really have nothing to do with Christianity at all. Uh, you know, we, we, we have a, a nice dinner and we had a guest speaker uh, sharing about search and rescue and, you know, what happens if you get lost? 
And I remember one thing the guy said. He's like, hey, if you get lost out there, you know, just pray. Just pray to somebody. It doesn't matter who it is. And I'm thinking, you know, this guy has no idea who we are, you know. Um, Apparently, Sean didn't explain it to him enough, you know. But I thought, you know what, that's cool. Um, He felt comfortable enough to say that, apparently. Not like he had to be somebody he wasn't. And, And so then I got up there at the end, toward the end, and I clearly shared the gospel message and without pulling any punches and, and but, you know, not really coming off as like a religious nut either. That's not our desire, but just to kind of share with people the love of, of Christ. And and you know what? Those people that were there, 350, 360 people, they heard the gospel and they listened. There was no question that 95% of those people were listening to what I had to say. People weren't talking. Because even when, like, the guy from Search and Rescue was sharing, people were talking and eating and, you know, going and buying raffle tickets and doing other things. And they weren't... But when I got up there, and I'm not saying it was because of my great oratory skills. It's the Spirit of God. When I got up there, they, they were listening to what I had to say. And, I mean... Why would you listen to me? I, I don't know. I That's a good question. I think it's because people are longing for truth. And, and they they even though they, they may not have left there, you know, bawling their eyes out or, you know, falling down on their face, um, they heard the gospel. And so, you know, and I even pointed out, I said, you know, there's there's a lot of people here that are volunteering their time and serving and they don't stand to gain anything from this. Uh, all this money goes, you know, to, to charitable organizations or uh, to nonprofit. None of these people that are here are going to see that money. What do you think they're doing this for? What do you think they're running around sweating and serving you for? And, and I, I would think that that would kind of spur people to to think a little bit. Think, yeah, what what are they doing that for? I wouldn't be doing that, you know, for free. And, and by the way, why are you guys putting this on? You know, I mean, that, that's what I hope um, is is kind of resonating with people even today. So keep that in prayer and and, and just um, hopefully uh, we'll have opportunities to um, to water those seeds, you know, and, and, and then maybe to bring those seeds to harvest. But we shouldn't be discouraged and don't be discouraged in your evangelism at work or you know, at home or um, wherever, you don't know what, where those people are at on the scale of of their experience with Christ. You know, and and you might be the the fifth or sixth person that shares, and it might be the twentieth person that touches them with the love of Christ that actually gets to lead them to the Lord. Which is also why, when we do lead somebody to Christ, we shouldn't think that it's all about us, because more than likely they've experienced the touch of Christ for many years and there's probably people praying for them and you know I remember um, street witnessing in Hollywood one time and and in Hollywood there's a lot of strange people on the streets at night the the movie stars aren't out on the streets at night and you know there's I remember running into people who you know dead serious believe they were 400 years old or you know they'd have a little shrine built out of cardboard you know and that they were worshiping some Martian or something, and and but one time I met this kid. And he looked like a normal 
normal kid, and I was probably like 19 at the time, and he was probably like 17. And I met him on the street, and I just began to share with him. And and I was like, you know, hey, would you like to to pray? And and you know, you get rejected a hundred times, so you you're almost preparing for him to say no. And he said, yeah, I would. It's like, oh, okay. And he said, my mom lives in Iowa, and she's been praying for me, you know, for years. And and I know that, you know, this is what I need to do. So what am I going to think? I'm so great. I just happen to be walking by the guy. You know, his mom and others had been, you know, planting those seeds and watering those seeds. So um, a couple things in your bulletins just to make you aware of. Uh, there's a game um, afternoon today that Lana Will is putting on. It's here at the church at 3 o'clock if you'd like to come, uh, bring a game and maybe some something to eat and, and have a good time down here at the church. Uh, the, the women's ministry is sponsoring a uh, prayer and fellowship and potluck at Barb McCown's house, and that's going to be on the 1st of February, a Thursday night uh, from 6 to 8.30, and you can talk to Barb or to Julie for directions or for more information. Um, encourage you to get involved with that Super Bowl of Caring, a way to raise money for the Oasis Soup Kitchen here in town. Uh, which, by the way, we we did a live auction of a uh, eight-person dinner that's uh, going to be cooked and prepared by uh, Axel, uh, who started uh, Barney Prine's restaurant here in Prineville, and he sold it. But he also owns a restaurant. Ben, he's a very good chef. Uh, he donated a um, an eight-person meal at his home, Wild Game Feed, and so we auctioned that off last night for the Oasis, and I think we we brought in about $900 for that um, to give to the Oasis. So um, that's a neat thing. And, and this is another thing we're doing to um, to help the Oasis. They feed about 35 people a day uh, over there. Uh, it's just right, right there by the insurance company. And uh, it's a, a great ministry, so if you'd like to help out with that, um, they'll be at Ray's on the 3rd of February, and then they'll be here at church on the uh, 4th, which is Super Bowl Sunday, therefore the play on words with Super Bowl. So, um, of course, the uh, youth retreat, junior high and high school, it's coming up in February. There's a sign-up sheet out here. Make sure you sign up if you haven't for your kids. Uh, maybe you've got uh, some youth in your neighborhood or family that you'd like to invite to that. Uh, maybe you can pay the 20 bucks and let them go. Uh, it's so cheap for that uh, type of an event. It's a, a three or four day uh, retreat for 20 bucks. I mean, gosh, I went. I was in high school 12 years ago, and we used to pay a hundred and something bucks. I don't know how they got it to be for 20 bucks, but um, so anyway, that's a, a great deal, and I'd encourage you to maybe get some kids that you know to go and. Uh, you know, also, if you've got some kids in your neighborhood, you know, um, invite them to youth group at Brent's house on, on Sunday nights. You know, maybe that's a way that you can reach out to people. And sometimes adults are harder. Um, you know, another thing is on Wednesdays we have that great kid mission. What a great thing to bring kids to. If you've got kids in your neighborhood, as long as you know the parents, um, you offer to take their kids off their hands for a couple hours, they're probably going to take you up on it. You know, it court, unless you're a stranger, you know, you start going around knocking on people's door. Hey, can I take your kids? Probably not going to work. But if they know you, I mean, hey, if I know somebody 
and they want to take my kids for a couple hours or a couple days or a couple years, have at them. I'm sure you'll be bringing them back soon, but it's like the guys for Quest were trying to get donations for the, you know, for auction. I said, hey, we can auction my kids off. Uh, silent auction, they, they might bring in a little bit, but I'm sure that the people will be bringing them back. Be like, you know what? Keep the money and you can have these kids too. Um, so anyway, that's a neat way to uh, to reach out. Sometimes we can really reach parents through their kids. So something to think about. Uh, mission trip to Mexico. It's during spring break, the 24th through the 31st of March down to La Posada. Um, we kind of need a certain amount of people to go if we're going to do the trip. And uh, as of yet, nobody's signed up. So maybe um, maybe we're just not going to go this year, and that's okay. Um, but I'd like to go. It would be a great opportunity for you to see what missions is like, get a little taste, uh, be able to just devote yourself to uh, ministry for about a week, and it will uh, absolutely change your life. So if you can do it and you can swing it, uh, sign up and it'll be a good time. A couple other things there for you to look at uh, and read on your own. And then, of course, over on the right above the notes section, there's what's coming up this week. And you can read about all the events that are happening throughout the week. There's something going on uh, just about every night of the week. So why don't we open our Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 10. Continuing to study chapter by chapter and verse by verse through 2 Corinthians. And this morning we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 through 18. And as we make our way through the text this morning, I want you to notice three things. The first thing is that we shouldn't judge by the outward appearance. It's the first thing we're going to see. Second thing we're going to see is that we shouldn't compare ourselves with others. And then the third thing is that we shouldn't boast about ourselves. So three things, very practical things that Paul brings up this morning. So let's read verses 7 through 11 as we look at this idea of not judging by the outward appearance. Do not look at things according to the outward appearance. If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. And so, of course, going back a little bit to last week, Paul is now beginning a section of Second Corinthians from chapter 10 through the rest of the book, where he basically gives a defense of his ministry. Now, we talked about the fact that Paul is not defending himself personally. He's defending the message. 
He's defending the ministry that God had given him. And so he's now telling them, look, do not judge me by the outward. And I think that brings up a good point for us, that we shouldn't be judging other people simply by what we see on the exterior. Like the old adage, it's a tired saying, but it's filled with truth that we shouldn't judge a book by its cover, right? And we often do that. We judge people by how they dress. We judge people by how they talk. We judge people by how much money they have, by where they live, by what they do for a living. And in some ways, we can't help it. We live in a society that really honors and values the wrong things. Uh, We honor and value youth. We honor and value athletics. We honor and value uh, musical talent. And, And those are the things that we put up on a pedestal. And those are the people that we worship and that we adore and we think are the greatest. When in fact, a lot of times, they're empty, they're shallow, they're hard, calloused people who have nothing to offer us except entertainment. But that's what we value in our society. And and Paul, I think, is sharing with us here, we need to look beyond the outward appearance and look at the heart. You see, because these people in Corinth had initially accepted Paul when he came there to plant the church. They accepted him for who he was, and yet now these false teachers had come in and seeking to build upon Paul's foundation, they are discrediting Paul. And they're saying, you know what, Paul is short and bald and his legs are a little crooked and we learn all that from history. Now, they're not talking about me, they're talking about Paul. So, you know, don't, don't get it confused. But Paul wasn't that impressive to look at. And they were kind of now beginning to question him a little bit. Like he said there, for his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak. His speech contemptible. They would say things like, well, Peter's powerful and passionate. And he's handsome and he's strong and, you know, he's a man's man. Where Paul is kind of like a book guy and kind of a nerd and, you know, he's nothing to look at physically. And and even his speech is kind of weak. He's not a very powerful orator. Oh, sure, he can write letters and he sounds real good. But then when he comes and speaks, it's like, who's this guy? And so they were beginning to discredit Paul, not because of anything moral, not because of what he taught, but because of how he looked, because of how he sounded. And how guilty are we of that? And the person who judges by appearance is always seeking to give a good appearance. And you begin to fall into this trap of doing things for appearance sake. And so you just want to look good. You know, it's kind of like throwing everything under the bed to make the room look clean, when in fact it's really not all that clean. But the appearance says it is, you know. But meanwhile, underneath the bed are bowls of ice cream and, you know, old crusted cereal and milk glasses half full and, you know, dirty underwear and, you know, sheets that were never washed just, you know, thrown under the bed and, you know, dead animals or whatever else. And 
it looks clean. Right? My daughter at four years old has mastered this art already. Clean your room. You know, that means throw everything into the corners. It looks good, but in reality it's not good. And how many of us, you know, we can put on a good appearance. How many politicians do, do we see doing that, you know, during elections? All of a sudden, you know, they're shaking everybody's hands and talking with people. And where were they the last four years? I never even heard from the guy, you know. And, and now all of a sudden they love everybody. And, and so get, doing things just for appearance sake is, um, is, is just wrong. And, and we need to do things for the heart of the matter. We should live to please God. That's the bottom line. Living to please God. Not judging by the outward appearance. Not judging by what we see, but judging by the heart. And looking at, what does God say about this? What's God's opinion of this? We should live to please God and never try to be a man pleaser. Now that's difficult to do. But when you do it, it brings freedom, it brings peace, it brings a sense of fulfillment in your life. Because that's what we were created to do, is to please God. We talk a lot about, what am I on this earth for? What's my purpose? What's my destiny? Call it whatever you want to call it. It's very simple. It's not really popular. It's not going to probably sell a lot of books. But your purpose is to simply please God. Bottom line. It's not to find what pleases you. It's to please God. And I don't really think, this is my personal opinion, I don't really think that God cares about what you do specifically to do that. I don't really think God cares if you're a garbage man or the President of the United States. He's not impressed with with either one of those things. I don't think God cares if you're a painter or an attorney a doctor, or a pastor. It doesn't matter what we do specifically. I think God cares where we go to college. In some ways, in terms of, um, you know, real specifics, I mean, there are some regulations. The person needs to be a believer. I don't know that the Lord really cares about who we marry. This idea that there's only one person out there for you, to me, is ludicrous. Just, just think about that logically. Well, what if I'm in sin and I marry somebody and she's in sin? Now, I just married somebody that I wasn't supposed to marry and the domino effect would be catastrophic. It would only take one person to just screw everything up. So this idea that, that God has you know specific things for you, I don't know that that's really necessarily biblical. But I do know this. God has a moral will. God has a parameter by which He wants us to live our life. And it's laid out in the Word of God, and it's the same for all of us. And as long as we're within that parameter, within those boundaries, I think we have a lot of freedom to make choices in our life, to do different things, to go different places, to be about different opportunities. The thing is, is that whatever we're doing, 
needs to be pleasing to God. That's the bottom line. Am I pleasing God? Is, is what I'm doing pleasing the Lord? And what pleases men and what pleases God are two different things. And what we look at is what's pleasing to men. That's what we judge by the outward. We, we want to know what pleases a person. And so we put on a, a nice shell to please people. And we can do that. It's not hard to please people in that sense. And you find yourself as a man pleaser uh, becoming, you know, two-faced. You find yourself becoming a hypocrite. You find yourself saying one thing to one person and another thing to another person to keep everybody happy. And you don't remember, did I lie to them? Did I say that to them? I can't remember. Do I like that when I'm around them or do I not like that when I'm around And it's this mess. Just be who you are. Be what God created you to be. Please Him and Him alone. And don't worry about what people think or what they say or if you have you know, a multitude of friends. That's not our purpose in this life. Paul says in verse 8, For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction. I think there's a good point to be made there that the purpose of spiritual authority is to build up and not to tear down. It's to edify, not to destroy. And it's so sad when you see people using spiritual authority to bring destruction in people's lives, to bring control, to prosper themselves personally. And Paul said, I've been given spiritual authority by the Lord, and I'm not going to apologize for that. The position that I have is one of authority over you. I led you to Christ. I discipled you. I spent 18 months with you planning this church. And now you've got these guys coming in there that are trying to discredit me. Hey, that's fine. I'm not going to stand here and try to make you love me. But here's the thing. God has given me authority in your life. And I'm going to use that authority to build you up and not to tear you down. Whereas these false teachers were coming in there to tear them down. To build their own empire. To seek things for themselves. And it's really tragic when you see men and women using their spiritual authority to gain control over people. To gain things for themselves personally. Paul was confident in who he was in Christ. That was the bottom line. He, he didn't try to apologize for his authority, but he also didn't try to endear them to him. He, he wasn't overly concerned if, if they thought he was the greatest thing. Are we confident in who we are in Christ? Is, is our confidence rooted in Jesus? Or are we seeking the approval in the acceptance in the affirmation of men? If that's what you're seeking, it will be a slippery slope that will lead you to places that you don't really want to go. So we need to please the Lord and not judge things by the outward appearance. Well, the second thing that we learn in our text is found in verse 12. And that is that we shouldn't be comparing ourselves with others. Verse 12 is a mouthful, but that's basically 
the gist of that verse. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. That's a difficult verse to memorize. Basically, don't compare yourself with other people. It's not wise to compare yourself with other people because it only leads to two things. Only two possible results of comparing yourself with others. Discouragement, because you compare yourself to people who might be better than you. Better looking, better job, better income, better family life better background, better education, whatever. And you compare yourself, oh man, I'm an idiot compared to them. I'm a loser. And you get discouraged. You know, that's what happens at reunions. That's why a lot of people don't go to reunions. You know, it's like you only go to reunions for a couple of reasons. And, and may, maybe, maybe these are those reasons. But um, the first thing about comparing yourself is discouragement. But the other thing, the other result is when you compare yourself to people that you are better than, at least in your own mind. And that results in pride. You know, oh yeah, I'm smarter than they are, I'm better looking than they are, I've got a nicer house than they do, my kids are better behaved, my husband's nicer, my wife's better looking, I make more money, whatever. Who knows? Compare yourself. Among yourself, it leads to discouragement or it leads to pride. And that's why we shouldn't do it. And people can say whatever they want about us. People can make all kinds of accusations about us. But the only opinion that really matters is the Lord's. Because, see, we compare ourselves to other people because we want to try to see how we're doing what's people's opinion of me and what's my status in this life and how do I match up with other people and yet really the only opinion the only commendation that really amounts to anything and that really has any significance is the Lord's and you remember that Jesus when he was here on this earth was baptized and after he was baptized the Father spoke audibly from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And I often think that that was probably the thing that would enable Jesus to go through all that He went through. He would always have in the back of His mind that His Father was well pleased with Him. When He was being mocked and ridiculed, when He was being questioned, when people were rejecting him, when he was ultimately arrested and beaten and then crucified, I've always had in my understanding that probably Jesus reminded himself of that constantly that I'm well pleasing to the Lord. And the thing is, you guys, is that God the Father sees us through Jesus. And so just as he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He says that of you as well. He's well pleased with you because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. 
if you have a relationship. If you've linked up with Jesus, then that's how He sees you. Now, unfortunately, if you have not given your life to Jesus, then you're God's enemy, the Bible says. And that's not a good place to be. The good news is is that we don't have to be there because we can put our faith in Jesus and we can be a friend of God. And so, we need to live not comparing ourselves with other people, but really linking up with Jesus and saying all that matters is what God says about me. And what did He say about you? He says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you a friend. He said, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased with him and he sees you that way. He says, I love you. He says, I accept you. Those are the things that God says about you. And so we need to learn to live for his approval and not for the approval of men. Now, that doesn't mean that we just don't care at all about how people think about us or perceive us and we just live our life like a wrecking ball, just, you know, knocking people out of the way all in the name of, you know, pleasing God. That's not true either. Paul says, live your life and do your best to be at peace with all men. But, It's impossible to be at peace with all men. It's impossible to please everybody. And so along the line, as you're pleasing God, you can guarantee that you will displease men. That you will offend some people. That you will make some people upset. And when that happens, you've got to be able to move on and not compromise to please people. You've got to be able just to keep your hand to the plow. And say, you know what, I'm really sorry that you're offended by that. I'm sorry that this decision doesn't make you happy. But this is what God's showing me to do. And I have to please Him above pleasing people. So there's a way we can do it and not be a total jerk. You know, we've got to be careful about that. That that we're not just, you know, mowing people over in the name of pleasing God. But ultimately, the result is the same. They're not happy because we made this decision. And we're going to move on and we're going to keep our eyes on the Lord and keep our hands to the plow and, 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 and leave the rest up to the Lord. The problem with comparing ourselves with others is that we can do better than other people and still fall short of what God desires. Have you ever noticed that? You can absolutely excel if you compare yourselves to other people. But you may never reach your full potential. You may never reach what God has for you. In other words, if LeBron James was to come down and play some pickup basketball with a bunch of out of shape guys like me and compare himself, he may never get any better. But if he compares himself to the best, then he's going to constantly be seeking more and constantly be improving. And see, we have to compare ourselves with Jesus and not other people. Just like Pastor Chuck, 
you know, when young, when he was young in the ministry, he was pastoring a lot of small churches and, you know, kind of going from one church to the next every couple of years. And, and he said his goal in life was to pastor a church that was 300 people. And, you know, he, he went from church, church to church to church, and that was his goal. Well, then he, you know, later on in life, in his 40s, after he had kind of had some success in ministry, in the eyes of men at least, he, he walked away from a church that was really growing and, and, and starting to become that church that he always had wanted, and he walked away from that to pastor the church in Costa Mesa that was called Calvary Chapel that was a little independent church. And little did he know what God was going to do through him. And he, he now says, looking back, don't have goals of how many people you want to have in your church or what you want to do for the Lord. Just take one day at a time and be faithful to be pleasing to God. He said 300 people, you know, not to be bragging about it, but I have more than that on my staff now. You know what I mean? And... and there's 1,200 churches that have come out of this one church. What in the world was I thinking to think that this is the plateau of where I want to be, you know? How ridiculous now that he thinks back on that. And I can think in my own life that, you know, I can be guilty of that. If I compare myself to other people. If we compare ourselves to, you know, the other Calvary chapels in Central Oregon. Oh, man, you know, they're growing and we aren't. Or, oh, man, you know, we do a lot of outreach and they don't. We're, you know, whatever. We do this and they don't. If we compare ourselves, we never reach where God wants us to be. Because we're too busy trying to compare and compete with everybody else. Just be who God made you to be. And you will reach new heights. I mean, from a purely worldly perspective in a business sense, I think Les Schwab is a good illustration of that. If Les Schwab had just compared himself to the other tire stores in Central Oregon, he might just have one tire store in Prineville still. Maybe it would be the best. Yeah, I'm better than those guys over there and we, we do more sales. And, but that wasn't his thought. He, he wanted to, to go beyond that and, and look what happened. And so you can see just from that kind of a illustration of, of how far short we can fall if we compare ourselves to those around us. Who cares if, you know, you're better than the lady across the street that beats her kids up? You know, I mean, is that who we really want to compare ourselves to? You know, I mean, come on. Let, let's, let's compare ourselves to Jesus and see where that brings us in this life as we desire to be pleasing to Him and to Him alone. Well, let's finish up with this third point that we shouldn't boast in ourselves, verses 13 through 18. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure 
that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. We shouldn't boast in ourselves. Paul is talking about the fact that he had planted this church in Corinth and then these false teachers, otherwise known as Judaizers, had come in. And they had begun to discredit Paul and to lead people away from Paul's ministry and Paul's authority. Basically, they were building on Paul's foundation. And the first thing that we learn in that section, verse 13, is that we shouldn't take credit for another person's work. Shouldn't be taking credit for what other people do. It's a terrible thing to do. And if you're in a position where you have opportunity to do that, and you like to set people up for you to get the credit for what they do, that is a really terrible thing. It's an absolutely anti-God characteristic. However, and maybe some of you are more on this end of the spectrum, when people do take credit for things that we do, how do we handle that? How do we handle the glory going to somebody else when it was our idea or our work? How do we handle that? Pride will make sure that our name gets attached to it and we end up looking like an idiot in the end. Trust me, I've been there. I've done that. There's been a lot of times in ministry where I've been serving alongside of people or under people and they've taken credit for my idea or my work and it really ticks you off. There's nothing probably more difficult than that. Because as people, it's natural for us to want to get a pat on the back, to want to be applauded, to want to be affirmed by people and, you know, to be appreciated and have them say, hey, good job. And it's difficult when we don't get that. But it's even worse if not only do you not get that, but then somebody else gets it for you. And it's very, very difficult to stand back and let that happen. And only Jesus working through you will allow that to happen. Say, so you know what? I'm going to let it go. Because it's not going to do any good for me to come in here trying to show people how great I am. Because I'm just going to come across as pompous and self-centered and arrogant. Hey, it was my idea, you know. And people are like, what? So you just let it go. And and a couple things will happen. One is you'll have freedom and peace. You won't be bound up with worrying about what people think and if you're getting the credit for everything. The other thing that will happen is that person that took credit for your work and your idea, you can believe that they're being ministered to by the Lord. You're deceiving yourself if you think they aren't aware of what they did. Of course they know. They didn't forget. They're not stupid. They're stupid enough to take your credit. They're smart enough to position themselves 
in such a way to take credit for what you did, then they're going to be smart enough to know what they did, right? And they're not going to forget. And so when you don't say anything and when you don't try to defend yourself and when you don't try to get the credit, they put that in the back of their mind and they wonder why. And so you have an opportunity to minister to that person. In verse 14, Paul says that he was bringing the gospel to them. It was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Paul had brought the gospel to them. That's all he wanted to do. Simply bring the gospel. Now these false teachers had come in and they said, you know what Paul brought was was nice and that was cool. But if you really want to be part of the club, if you really want to be all that you can be in this thing called Christianity, you'll convert to our little club here, to our system of doing things. We've got the corner on doctrine. And that's what false teaching commonly does. They're sterile. They don't bring new people in. They come at those that have already been brought to Christ, to those who have already had a heart for the Lord, and then they swoop in on them and kind of share with them their little pet doctrines that they think you should follow. And it's not just cults that do that, but it's also some of these, you know, I don't know what I should call them. I don't want to be too specific, but these groups within the church who feel like they've got the corner on the truth. And you've got to believe the way they believe. You've got to adhere to their doctrines. Otherwise, you're not quite there yet. And it was the same thing these false teachers were doing then. Come on, if you, if you join our club, then you'll really have arrived. And Paul just said, look, I just wanted to bring the gospel to you. And now they're seeking to build upon that foundation. And that's what false teaching, that's what arrogant groups will do. They, they're sterile. They, they can't bring people to Christ because that kind of message doesn't translate well. can't bring that onto the streets or out in the highways and byways or on the mission field. So they let other people do the work and then they come in and they try to capitalize on that. And Paul wanted just to simply now partner with the church of Corinth, as he says in verses 15 and 16. He wanted to partner with them to bring the gospel to the regions beyond. See, these false teachers had no heart to do that. They didn't want to bring the gospel out even further than Corinth. They wanted to come in and capitalize on the work that Paul started and take advantage of those people, but they had no heart to see those people involved in ministry or to see them reaching out beyond the area of Corinth. And that's a dangerous place to be. And then in verse 17, Paul quotes Jeremiah 9.24, sharing where the glory belongs. Let him who glories, glory in the Lord. When you're not judging by the outward and you're not comparing yourself with other people, then you can give glory to God. Because only God can work on the heart. 
Only God can do that work. Only God can make us pleasing to Him. And so when we're living for that as our goal in life, then we know that we need to give Him all the praise, all the glory. And then in verse 18, he says, For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And the bottom line is ultimately it doesn't matter what men say. God's judgment, that will stand. Seek to be commended by the Lord. Seek His approval. It's not he who commends himself. That's meaningless to the Lord. You can have all the accolades and the awards of men and yet be absolutely opposed to God. It's whom the Lord commends. And so your prayer, your desire ought to be, God, I want to be pleasing to you. I want to be commended by you. And I know that will be a result of me staying close to Jesus. You guys, if you'll just stay close to Jesus, you'll be pleasing to God. Stay close to Jesus. Stay in the Word. Seek His face. If you're not in the Word, you'll forget how much you need Jesus. You'll forget how much you depend upon Him. The Word is a daily reminder of where our focus ought to be. It's a daily refocusing of your priorities It's a daily opportunity for you to link up with Jesus. Stick close to Jesus. You'll be well-pleasing to God. You may not make friends and influence people the way that the world would say we ought to. You might offend some people along the way. You might not be what people say you should be from the outward appearance. And you won't be comparing yourself with other people. You'll be comparing yourself with Jesus. When you stick close to Jesus, it's like, why would you compare yourself to anybody else? You just say, this is my model. This is who I want to pattern my life after. He who says he abides in him also ought to walk just as he walked. Don't try to pattern yourself after men. Pattern yourself after Jesus. Like Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. In other words, if I'm not following Christ, then don't follow me. Don't judge by the outward. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't boast in yourself. Three very practical, down-to-earth principles that apply to each one of us. Let's stand and pray together.